This week is the awesome DJ and producer, James Nasty. The artwork, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And as always, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's Let's go go in. I grew up in Delphi, Maryland. A little mostly Hispanic town, like, right next to the University of Maryland College Park. What was it like? Uh, boring. Yeah. Pretty boring. It's definitely, um, there's just not much going on there. Like, a lot of people grow up in that area. They go right to the University of Maryland, and they just sort of stay in that little world for most of their lives. Like, I I know plenty of people that are still in the same area. They went to school. I know people that are just like, just went right back to the schools they went to and are just teachers and all that. Yeah. It's like almost like if you don't really make an effort to leave, you just sort of become a part of that, that whole institution. Just like the university is like its own, its own economy. And what were your parents like? Or are they like, rather? Parents were pretty strict and pretty focused on get a good education, get a good job, get yeah. to college. You know, they both worked for the government. They believe in, like, job security. And I was like, hey, like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and to this day, they still don't, like, they don't really understand my lifestyle. They see, like, right. the awards and the achievements, and they're like, we don't understand what you do with your life. My parents assume that I just, my life is just one big party. Right, right. And... I wouldn't lie and say my life isn't like maybe 60, 75% party, but you know, I'm a businessman. Like I, I would like to say I have a pretty successful business with what I'm doing. But yeah. They don't comprehend anything. That's not like get up in the morning, go sit in the office for five hours and come home and watch the news and cook dinner and go to bed. Like at what age did you realize you're not going to do all that? Probably in high school. Like, yeah. right in the middle of high school, I was, well, I played, like, I played, like, clarinet and alto saxophone in, like, grade school band and in high school band. And then I turned 16, and I was like, you know what? I'm tired of, like, I like playing music, but I'm tired of sort of being in this orchestra where this dude hands you a sheet of music, like, learn this, we're going to play this. I was like, no, like, I want to write music. Yeah. You know? I want to explore music my own way and not just, like, perform this. So I sort of, like, sold my saxophone without my parents knowing mm. and went out and bought a guitar and uh, taught myself how to play the guitar. And by my senior year, I was in, like, a band. And then I went off to college. I went to UMBC. Oh, okay. Like, that's, like, if there was one, one of the best decisions I probably ever made with my life was to, like, not just go up the street to College Park with all of my friends and, like, you know what, you guys can stay here, like, I'm going to Baltimore. I'm going to UMBC. Yeah. Like a pressing, like the restart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Say this first band, like what, what was it like? Uh, I guess the best way to describe it is like trying to be like three eleven, maybe a little more funkier, like a really like funk and reggae influenced rock band. What were you guys called? Uh, the name of the band was preschool. It was like me and the, the, all the other guys all lived in like Laurel. So I was like still pretty much driving home yeah. a couple times a week for practice. We only played like maybe one or two shows. Yeah. And uh, just like, you know, a lot of people want to be musicians and want to be in bands, but don't understand like the work ethic and everything that goes into it. Right, right. Like my whole musical journey has sort of been like recognizing that. Like the amount of persistence and work it actually takes. Like everyone has the dream maybe, but... There's some people that don't always put the work into it. Totally. And just kind of expect things to, like, happen for them and be given to them. So, like, that band, that was in another more or less reggae band, like, afterward. And, like, one of the things was, like, you know, just practicing wasn't even, like, handled in a very professional manner. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right, well, we meet for practice. Someone's like, all right, well, let's smoke before we start playing. 
Then someone's like, yo, I'm hungry. Then we like <laughs> right, go to right, Taco right. Bell and we come back and someone's like, oh, I'm not even that high. Let's smoke again. Right. Then we only get to practice for like 20, 30 minutes to an hour. And it's like, I got homework to do, blah, 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 blah. Right. And, it was just, and so um, I went to UMBC for computer science originally. And I was like, you know what? I hate computers like this. Like, I don't want to do this. Mm. It's like, I can't imagine my life sitting in a fucking cubicle typing away yeah. code forever. Like, this is not for me. And um, my junior year, I was like, well, can I, like, double major in music and, like, go through the whole, like, recording arts program there? And uh, they told me, like, you have to do, like, for, like, the official, like, degree, like, the bachelor's, you have to do, like, eight eight classes of solo and ensemble performance. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I was like, I'm not going to spend another two years in college just playing like sex, playing uh, instruments, the very yeah. same stuff that I stopped doing in high school. Yeah. But I still went through all of the, like, actual, like, recording classes, which was cool because, like, you basically get free studio time to work on projects. Yeah. And, like, the program was small. It was maybe, like, five or six guys in my class. But there was just all this free studio time, and, like, I would look at the schedule, and no one was ever using it. Guys would go in for an hour or two and just do their project and leave, and there would be nights where I was like, all right, there's no one in here from 7 to the rest of the night. Totally. I'd get on my friend on the phone with my friend. I had a fake ID also, which was pretty beneficial. Yeah. And we would just go to the liquor store, buy some booze, get really fucking stoned, and just go to the studio and jam out. Like, yeah. I had reason. I would, like, make beats, or we would just play instruments, and I just... I have, like countless hours of sessions like from college just like of all kinds of like crazy stuff that i did yeah yeah I, i've recorded a little bit in that studio yeah. before yeah. i i like grew up right in catonsville oh, okay right there so. yeah but yeah like yeah i know exactly what you mean it's like you see it and it's almost like how could this not be right. being used to like the maximum right. capacity right this like this is free studio time as long as i'm here like I'm yeah gonna, I'm going to make the most of this. And was there like a certain sound at that point that you feel like you arrived at? Or was it more just like uh, experimenting? I was kind of all over the place. I had this weird. I had this weird fascination with like porno funk sort of going on for a little bit. Oh, okay. But especially yeah. like all the projects I turned in were very much like this like. Porno funk fantasy music. And yeah. I had a teacher pull me aside one time. He's like, I, I don't like he just like had this like look of astonishment. Like, what are what are you going for? I'm like, porno funk. Like, I don't mm. know. <laughs> we sort of had like a rolling theme for like the band. It was called Hot Tub. Mm. It was just, I don't know, it was just a joke that we kinda all had going on. Yeah, yeah. I kinda felt like I was trolling the class because like everyone else in the class was like and all these different rock bands. And, like, you know, when we listen to everyone's projects, it's, like, distorted guitars and all this. And I'm, like, this dude playing guitar, like, wah-wah guitar and, like, saxophone solos and, like, all this stuff. Right, right, right. The rest of the class is, like, not really sure what's going on in my brain. But they're, like, this is cool, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Aside from that, it was just, like, making lots of beats. And just anyone that I knew that wanted to come freestyle or write verses, like, come on in drink a bunch of E&J Brandon, Brandy, smoke some blunts, and just do you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I just sort of treat it as, like, this is a craft, and the more time I spend doing it, the better I'll get at it. And why not take advantage of all this free studio time now while yeah. I can? So when I first started at UMBC, I was like, there was something about Greek life that appealed to me. And, like, I attempted to rush, like, a white fraternity and a black one, and I didn't really like either of them. Then at some point, me and my friends were like, fuck it, let's just sort of start our own. Mm. And it started with like me and a few guys, and we literally would just sit around in the dorms and drink old English 40s. And uh, we ended up calling the fraternity OE because of that. <laughs> and just like, all right, what are the Greek letters for that? Okay, Omicron, Epsilon. And I was definitely a badass in college. I was definitely like not about going to class very much. Yeah. And then, like, oh, let me snort a bunch of Adderall and just, like, sort of cram for my finals. That's mm. kind of how I got through those first few years. I was also pretty reckless. Like, I'd get really drunk and just sort of be like, I got multiple, like, destruction of property charges oh, at shit. UMBC. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, like, and nothing I did was really that serious, but it was still just, like, 
that school's really stiff and they tried to maintain this like prestigious university and like there's not a really it's not a party school there's not a really big social life there right right you know the campus is sort of its own little like enclosed thing and like so much of the student population was commuters and like if you lived on campus and you weren't you know greek life or an athlete there really wasn't much for you to do right right and i i was basically in jeopardy of getting thrown out of the dorms um <laughs> my junior year so like the freshmen move in before everyone else in my junior year when i moved in like i was one of the only non-freshmen on the floor yeah and i remember like carrying my stuff in like all these kids were like in the hallway sort of like shit that's him that's him as i was walking by <laughs> and i had a, a roommate that was a freshman and he was like he was like yeah like i already told us about you and they said like you might be a drug dealer or something something and she was specially trained in like recognizing drug usage or whatever mm. and like sort of waiting for me to fuck up and i was like it's like i'm not a drug dealer i just i just i'm a 20 year old that likes to party i guess 19 yeah. year old whatever and it didn't really stop me from doing what I was doing. And yeah. it just sort of got to the point where it was like, either I get out of this building or, you know, I'm probably going to go down somehow, some way for someone else's shit. So I ended up actually, like, moving into, like, the apartments. Where, like, okay. More of the upperclassmen. Like, and I moved in with these three guys. And to this day, I don't think they, have, they had any idea that what I was about to ch- do to their lives was going to, like, they had no idea because this whole like OE fraternity thing, once I had that apartment, it just sort of exploded into this mm. thing. We started throwing parties in the apartment every Friday. Oh. And literally, we would turn the apartment into like basically a nightclub. We had like lights, we decorated. Me and my one roommate would like put, a, put together like a playlist for the whole night. Yeah. And just have it like music playing and like we would have like theme parties. And it got to the point where like I'd be walking to class. People would stop me like, "Yo, you're that OE guy who turns his club or turns his apartment into a nightclub every week." I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I am." <laughs> right, right. Like I was there last Friday. It was so much fun. Like, okay, cool. And then that became such a huge deal again. Like they were just trying to find a way to get me out of that school. Mm. It was just like I'm, I'm just like there was like the rumors of like this blacklist of like students that were like troublesome to the community, and I think I was on that for maybe like four of my five years there. <laughs> But you did make it through? I did. Okay. I don't know how, because from day one until the end, like, I kept seeing all these people I knew just sort of drop like flies and get in trouble and just either gracefully bow out or, like, the system sort of came down on them. But, like, I kind of escaped. Yeah. I escaped quite a few times just trying to, like, game the system. Like, you'd have your judicial board meeting, and I would be like, I got an exam that day. I can't do this. And... They'd rescheduled, and one time it got pushed back so far that by the time I finally went in, they're like, whatever, I'll go back to class. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I did graduate and get a diploma, but I think I was intentionally not invited to participate in the graduation ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) I just got a letter basically saying, like, you're done. You can come pick your diploma up this day. Oh, wow. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I'm just ready to be the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, there's a way bigger world that I like to go fuck up in the same manner. And what did you do from there? Uh, I got an internship at the studio, sort of like as an engineer and also like doing like tech stuff, like mm. set up like a th- like there was like three different studios and like computers. I like networked them all together, like wireless networks, did all that. What studio? Uh, It's called, it was called... It originally called it was originally called out of control studios okay and then the guy who owned it sold it to the main engineer and it became above ground studios that sounds familiar nate, nate middleman yeah. okay over in highland town they were there for a while i think he just moved somewhere else not oh okay so yeah i was sort of like an intern there and uh again i tried to make the most of what seemed like free studio time that i could yeah while having to drive from Catonsville all the way out there and whatnot by that time, like, what kind of music were you doing? By that time, I was mostly, like, making, like, rap beats, like, hip-hop. Yeah. Like, at that point, I was, like, sort of, like, let's... Sort of, like, idolizing, like, Dr. Dre and the Neptunes at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, just, like, I want to just develop a signature sound and, like, just be that guy. 
And did you have people that you worked with that were like, yeah, doing I had a things? few guys I worked yeah. with. Um, Whiteout from okay, Whiteout, the kid who won, the white dude that won, I think he made it to like the Hall of Fame on like 106 in Park. What was it? Oh, Freestyle yeah, 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 Friday, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sort of being managed by this kid I knew. Well, I guess he's not really a kid because he's older than me, Chris Styles. Okay. Yeah. He DJs in DC. He's like on the radio and all that. That's right. That's and I think yeah. he was sort of helping Whiteout along after the 106 and Park thing. And he sort of connected me with him. And he was sort of working on a project. I think we did like four or five songs for an album that I don't think ever made it out. Mm. But that was probably the most notable person I worked with at the time. Yeah, yeah. Then I ended up working at this other studio that wasn't along, around for very long. It was this guy who basically was like wanted to be like a really like neo soul R and B producer. Oh, okay. But he like needed someone else to basically run the studio for him. So really, all he ever had to do was come in for his own sessions. Oh, okay. So he put me in charge of like, I mean, I sort of like built the studio for him. Like he just had the space and it was just like a mic. There was like no acoustic treatment. Right. right. He basically just went to Guitar Center and was like, "What do I need?" He bought it all at Guitar Center and just threw it in this space. And I sort of like built it all up. Yeah. No. I was doing marketing. I was bringing in other sessions and, like, all this. And uh, he had a songwriting partner who was sketchy, to say the least. Mm. And uh, I guess he'd had, he'd had a few, like, bigger placements sort of develop. And he tried to, like, cut, his, cut the songwriting partner out of it. And the dude had, like, tried to confide in me, like... You know, if if this dude fucks me over one more time, like I'm gonna I'm gonna get him. Like I'm gonna get him back for it. I was like, I don't need to know anything about this. I don't yeah. need to know anything about this. And I'm on vacation in Ocean City and I get a call from the owner of the studio. He's like he's like, Where are you at? I'm like, I'm in Ocean City, what's up? He's like, How long have you been there? I was like, I don't know, a few days. Why? What's up? He's like, When was the last time you were at the studio? I was like, before I left. He's like, I just went in the studio. He's like, everything's gone. And I was like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I knew oh exactly right, I knew right. exactly what happened. Right. But I wasn't going to say anything. But I was like, oh, that, that sucks. And I was like, shit, all my stuff was there, too. Like, my <sighs> guitars were there. Like, my rack. Like, I had microphones and all that. I was like, everything's gone? Like, holy shit. He's yeah. like, well, not everything. He's like, your stuff's still here. And then I was like, okay, I definitely know who did this. <laughs> right. But I didn't tell him. I think he just sort of like, I think he went on just to like close the studio. Like insurance gave him the money for all the gear back or whatever. And he yeah. just sort of went about his way. Probably just set up a home studio to continue to whatever he was doing. And I was working, I'd been working with this one guy on a mixtape. Um, a lot. You know. Like, like the whole like, you know, like a lot of a lot of big rappers, like, pretend to live this lifestyle, like, oh, yeah, I was selling drugs to get money for studio time, right, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. I was working with this dude who was actually doing that. Like, sure, yeah. He had the money to, like, you know, there was, there were a lot of people that I was working with that, like, wanted to live this ideal of, like, a rap video where they would pay for studio time and show up. Like, I can roll a blunt and get my mind right and everything. And I was like, you know you're on the clock. Like, you paid for five hours. You know, this isn't this isn't like like MTV or VH1 where like you can just hang out in the studio and like write your verses here. Like you know, yeah. if you want to do this, you need to write this shit at home. Maybe smoke a blunt in the car on the way down here. And when right. you come in, like go straight to the booth because you got five hours. Like right. if you don't have the money, just keep spending this. You know, just blowing it on this. Like you're doing this wrong. Right, right, right. Well, this dude did, and like there was just all kinds, all different times of day or night, we would just be in there recording. And we did, like, 15 tracks, like, half original and half just, like, industry beats, like, other people's records. And on the day of the last session, he called me and was like, how long are you going to be down there? Like, I got to go take a trip over west real quick, you know, got my homeboy with a situation. I was like, I'll be here. Like, I'll wait for you, whatever. Just let me know when you're finally on the way. He never showed up. I went home, and I was back to the next day. And got a call from, I guess, his sister. She was like, how much How much did he owe you for studio time? I was like, nothing. He always paid me up front. Like, we're good. I was like, you know what happened to him yesterday? Like, 
She was like, yeah, he he got shot yesterday. Mm. I was like, holy shit. And I think like that was before. I mean, that was obviously before the studio, like all the shit disappeared. But that's when I sort of had to like reevaluate the whole like being a producer and engineer thing. I was like, I don't, you know, because I went from being in bands where people weren't, you know, I was around surrounded by some people who weren't that serious. Right. Then I went from like working with MCs who didn't seem to be that serious. And this one guy who seemed to be like had the potential and everything. Like that was over. I was like. What's the point? Like, how can I just do this on my own now? Yeah, yeah. And uh, since college, I had always been, like, sort of making, like, Baltimore club music. Like, I would take vocals from, like, all the rap tracks I was making, just, like, cutting them up and sampling them. And at the studio I was working at, I was, like, taking other people's sessions and just grabbing vocals, like, getting vocals wherever I could and just, like, making tracks out of them. Yeah. And I was just sort of like, I could just sort of do this on my own like i have enough material with these other vocals and just like sampling anything like i can just do this by myself like say as a dc guy like how how did you first start hearing club um i mean as far back as high school like at high school dances and parties like people were playing baltimore club like, yeah like the the big classics like watch out for the big girl pick them up tear the club up like those are just as big of hit records in dc as they are here oh really like to this day when yeah. i play in dc all the time i can still play them and people still know what's going on yeah so like those were the first few records i was exposed to and then when i got to umbc i was sort of like hey i'm from baltimore or i'm from dc like here's go-go and people were like what is this oh that's that weird dc music <laughs> right. you need to be listening to this so like i had people that were tell me more about baltimore club just at umbc and then just yeah. sort of like as time went on, I started discovering more and more of it just being here in the city. Right, right. And how did you, like, learn how to make it, exactly? Like, I, I guess there's only, like, two main breaks. There's, like, from two, like, yeah, there's yeah. two main ones. There's a few other ones that don't get used as often. I mean, honestly, just from, like, listening to it so much, I was able to just sort of absorb it and just sort of, like, all right, there's there's a certain formula to it. And there's also a certain level of space to so just sort of like make it your own. Right, right, right. And what did what did you like about it? I like the versatility of it. Like people, you can basically take you can take an element of pop culture, just like oh, Barack Obama said this, and you can right. throw that over top of a track. Right. You can take like an old Motown record and cut it up. You can take, like, a current rap record and cut it up. You can get your homeboy at your house and just get him really fucked up and put a microphone in yeah. front of him and take that and chop it up. Yeah, yeah. It's like, the under the underlying musical formula of it doesn't change very much. Right. It's just, like, it's like a platform to sort of put, put pieces on top of it. Right, right, right. You know. I, I always feel like it, it makes... The cl- club makes me feel, like, alive in a way... So much electronic music doesn't. It's not. It's not a very elegant form of music. Yeah, like, you know, a lot of house music is so like polished and like elegant, and it's you know some of it's made for like really fancy establishments. Like, right, right, right. Baltimore Club is just probably one of the most raw forms of music out there. It's just there's so much emotion in it. That's there's just so much emotion those tracks can like sort of like pull out of you. Yeah that I don't think you can get from house music or a lot of other dance music. And as you start to do this club music of your own, like, where do you start playing it out? There's a few years. There's a few years of my life where, like, all that was going on before, like, I really started DJing where just, like, I was just getting really fucked up all the time. Just, like, just let's let's fucking party. Like, I'm young. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you're mainly, yeah, at that time, you're mainly concerned with just making it. Right, yeah. yeah. I was way more of a producer before I was a DJ. Like, yeah. I was producing way before I even considered, like, oh, I want to DJ. Like, at first, I hated DJing. I was like, I don't want to be a DJ. That's mm. stupid. Like, I'm a producer. I'm a musician. Like, I don't want to play other people's music. Like, that's the, sort of the underlying theme of my life. It's never been, like, I don't want to just play other people's music, whether it's, like, playing in your, your high school orchestra or, like, being a DJ. And uh, 
there was this one kid I was working with as a producer for a while, and he sort of started DJing. And one night he was like, yeah, like, you should try it. I'm like, I don't want to. DJing's not for me. Like, my dad was a DJ. I don't want to do, I don't want to do what my dad did. That's stupid. Mm. And I just tried it, and we just had house music records, and he just taught me how to beat match really quick with him. And I was like, this isn't that hard. I could do this. Yeah. And then I just sort of realized, like, this is another... This is another piece of the puzzle of, like, just being able to do so much of this on your own. Right. But I haven't right, necessarily right. been in a band or work with a lot of other people, you know. And I went through this phase, like, I don't really need to work with anyone. I can just do this on my own. I can sample whatever the fuck I want to sample. Like, I discovered Serato and was like, okay, so I can even just, like, bounce these records I made down and just play them right here when I DJ out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... I had this sort of moment in my life where, like, this weird older dude that lived a few houses down from me when I was living in Woodlawn just came outside one night. I came home from, like, being out with my friends, and I was in the street being all loud and being the typical young fuck-up that I was. And he sort of just grabbed me up, and he was like, the fuck are you doing with your life? He's like, I hear you in your house DJing all the time. He's like, I know you work. It's like, what are you doing with this? Like... No, I had I had a really shitty job. I worked. I had like two office jobs that I maybe stayed at each one for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, one I literally left the second day. I was doing like business to business sales at Nextel, and like on the second day, I just literally just got up and walked. I was like, I'm not doing this. Fuck this. Yeah. He's like, you're just working these shitty jobs and like wasting all your talent. Like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? And I, I went to bed that night, and I woke up the next morning. I was like, that dude's fucking right. Yeah. He was fucking right. And, like, I literally, like, basically stopped smoking weed. I think I quit smoking cigarettes. I probably went a few weeks, a few months without drinking. And, like, I ended up down at Sonar one night, like, the next week. And I ran into uh, a friend of mine who worked for Steve's Promo. I was like, yeah, I'm DJing now, dude. Like, what do I got to do to get a gig? He's like, I got you. You know, a few weeks later, I had my first, like, real DJ gig. And then from there, it just sort of, like, it just sort of all sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's amazing. Glad that guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> came I, wish I, could, I wish I could run into him right now yeah. and like, let him know, like, what he did for me. Because like, that's the exact opposite of what my parents would tell me. My parents would, like, give up on all this stupid shit you're trying to do with your life. Go get a fucking government job. I'm like, right, oh, right. fuck you. Like, I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do, and I'm going to make this work. And, like, these early DJ gigs, like, where would you be playing? Uh, I was playing at Sonar. I was doing, like, a lot of shows with Steve's promo for a while. I ended up with this really shitty Top 40 gig in Fells Point mm. at a place called Cheerleaders. It's where the Rockwell is now. Okay. That was pretty much it. I was yeah. just like, any gigs that could come my way, I would take them. Just yeah. Like, I'll do this. Like, I don't care. Let's just do this. Yeah. And would it be like you doing all, outside of the top 40 stuff, would it be you doing all club stuff or, or like mixing it up? I mean, for the top 40 gigs, it was usually like, it wasn't until like maybe 12, 30 or 1. They're like, all right, cool. Now I'm going to play some club music. At yeah, the yeah. Night, you know? Just from going to other clubs, that was always how I sort of experienced it being played. Right, right, right. In in venues like that. When did you start, like, releasing, like, these EPs and mixtapes? First EP I put out was probably 2006. Okay. 2005. Before I'd even started DJing or any of that, like, I just made some tracks and burned a bunch of CDs and I was literally down in Ocean City with my friends just like handing them to people in the streets that were driving yeah. by here just take this and listen to it and like I went back and listened to some of them like recently I was like this shit sucks <laughs> the fuck was I thinking <laughs> but like to that group of friends cause it was like a bunch of guys like it was like me and like I lived next door to these guys and we would just all hang out and smoke blunts all day I was like I'm not gonna get a fucking job I'm not gonna do shit yeah to like all those guys those are like classics like to like like, as friends that, like, sort of witness, like, those first things come together, like, they still, like, we still talk about them to this day. Yeah. 
And then I ended up teaming up with this one kid, and we sort of started a, a record label in, like, 2007 when, like, mm. when, like, Diplo and Titsworth, like, first basically started playing Baltimore Club, like, outside of the region. And sort right. Of, it started to become, like, this, like, weird global phenomenon. It was, like, this, like, regional dance music that yeah. was, like, cool. I mean, this dude started this record label, and, uh, again, it was, like, I was way more serious about it than him. Like, he was in school and had, like, other things. Like, no, like, this is my priority. So, like, we did one EP that was, like, a joint EP. It was okay. And then, like, I just went ahead and finished another one. I was, like, look, I'm going to put this out. Like, you do what you do. I'm going to put this out on my label and just, you know, see what happens. And then that, you know, that relationship eventually fell apart. And I was yeah. just like, well, I'm just going to just keep doing this and just put shit out on my own, like, put it out for free or use, like, Bandcamp or whatever that, whatever that weird platform was where you could sell music on, on MySpace. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. was called. But, yeah, it was just, remember. yeah, it was just doing that. Like, I don't think I put out, my first official release on a label was, like, 2014. Okay. Like last year. The was that the Calvert Street? Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time I like officially put something out. Oh no no no. I definitely did a few releases with uh B more original records. Okay. Like, a few years back. And what is what is uh what label put out the Calvert Street? Uh T and A. Okay. Which is Titsworth's label. Oh nice. Titsworth and DJ Ayers. I, I know that name and I do associate that with Diplo, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what like kind of scene is that that they're that they have, you know what I mean? At that time, it was way more of, like, an open-format sort of, like, indie dance party scene. Like, a lot of those guys... Like, imagine, like, Taxlope, but in, like, all sorts of different cities. Right, And the right, thing right. is, I think a lot of other cities sort of borrowed that formula from Taxlope. Totally. Because, like, Diplo and Dave Nada and Titsworth, like... A lot of their, a lot of the first times they got exposed to Baltimore Club or were able to play it and do it was like here at Taxo. Yeah. Or oh, okay, Dave Nada's not from here. Dave Nada's from DC. Oh okay, okay, yeah. cool. Do you like tour a lot? Um, doing your stuff. Not so much now as much as I used to. Okay. Um. Putting together a tour, like, by yourself at my position is really, has always been really challenging. Yeah. And I did it a few times, like, I just don't want to waste, you know, you spend so much time tracking people down to try to work out dates and, like, get your routing right and everything. And, like, you can't really make that much money. So, you're basically just like, hey, this is a free vacation. I can just go around for a few days and do a week or whatever. It's like, if you don't have an agent, with, like, all the right promoters yeah, in their pocket, like, you're basically caught up in, like, this sort of, like, network of, like, gig swapping with dudes. Yeah. So, like, if you know someone in Seattle that has a night and they just do guest DJs, like, okay, I know you. You come here and play. Like, this is what I pay my guest DJs. And then next fall when I'm putting together a tour, I'm going to come play right. with you in Baltimore. Yeah, and you can't, you can't go on tour for 30 days and then have like 30 people expecting right a Baltimore show right and I was younger and I was still new to DJing and it was fun and now I'm just like I don't I would love to do it but I just don't want to do I don't want to have to do all the work that goes into making it happen Mm. right now like if I get a booking agent like let's do it like I'm ready to leave tomorrow yeah yeah well, what is your focus at the moment? Um, pretty much that. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's sort of always been a shame that, like, Baltimore Club was such a big thing globally for, for a period of time. And the formula itself still influences so much of dance music and popular culture, like pop music. But it's like... Not a lot of people from this town have really gotten the opportunities to go outside of here. Right. And get the recognition worldwide and be able to go play for all these other people and all these other places that know the music. Right. May not right. know the names behind the music that's been made. Like, I think you had Scotty B. 
traveled a bunch. Blackstar traveled a bunch. But I can't really think of anyone else, like, actually from Baltimore that's had, that's had those opportunities. Right, right. Why do you think that is? Oh, man. Um, I've had conversations with several, I guess, really influential people and booking agents. And one of the first things they've said is that you Baltimore guys just aren't professional enough. Mm. You know. They're like, you can't just put a record up on SoundCloud and be like, hey, I'm putting out music. I put out a new record. You know. Right, you know so right. much so much of dance music is sort of about like label cosigns or other DJs cosigning or supporting. We you know what you know, that's the term I think that gets used a lot. And you know, a lot of people here are really talented musically, but not necessarily very business savvy. Mm. And I think a lot of that is just a product of the lack of education we get in that here. Right, right, you know? right. Like the from what I understand, like Baltimore Club started as more like, you know, you would make an EP, you would sell it to like a label or a record store and they would press up the vinyl and sell right. it and they would just sort of pay you up front for the release. Right, right, right. You know, and it's like that may be how the market here works, but globally that's not how it works. Yeah. And And maybe it doesn't even work that way here anymore, right? I don't think so. Yeah. No. But I think that's part of it. Like a lot of the older producers just didn't see the value in doing it that other way. Mm. You know, we all, we all have heard plenty of stories of like labels that don't pay and people stealing your records and all that. So it's like, you're saying you're not going to pay me up front. Like you're not going to give me a few thousand dollars up front for this. Why would I do this? Right, right. You know what I'm saying? I might not ever get paid for this. You might just take my stuff like the next dude and go, go run off with it. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I was told. And that's sort of why I finally realized, like, I guess you do have to start reaching out to labels more and start releasing more music that way. Um, the other thing is that, I mean, some guys were so blunt. Just tell me like, you're black. It's hard to sell a black DJ, a black act on a mostly white crowd. Even for like club music? Even for club really? music, yeah. I mean, and that's that's one of the biggest discussed issues with the whole like dance music eating right, trend. Right. Is like it's very much a white male dominated industry. Like there's not a lot of black men, there's not a lot of women of any race. It's just mm. a bunch of white dudes playing music. Mm. That's crazy. So it's sort of yeah. like we have to do three times as much to get the recognition of what someone else would have to do less for. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is like, to me, one of the few, and I'll get your opinion on it, but one of the few cool things to really highlight Club was that, that like French documentary mm-hmm. that came out. Did, did yeah. you, how did you feel about that? I liked it for what it was. I felt like it could have been more in depth. Yeah. And I think yeah. the issue was just like the fact this guy came over here from France and only had a limited amount of time to sort of engulf himself right, right. in the culture here. Right, right. You know. I guess I thought it was a good first step. It was definitely a good first step. Like, um, did you, have you ever seen that documentary Big Fun in the Big Town? I haven't. It's like, it's in the 80s. It's like a, like, Danish dude or something uh-huh. like, that's like going around New York and Philly. It's like it's like he talks to Schoolie D. He talks to like Dougie Fresh and stuff. And it's it mm-hmm. sort of had that same feeling to me of like almost like the most outsider perspective there could possibly be. But it's like very genuine, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's pretty much how how this went down. It was like very much an outsider, but just like. If he'd maybe been here for, like, a few months to be able to just get more footage and, like, get more of the narrative. Because, like, a lot, of, a lot of the producers aren't, I don't want to say they're hard to get a hold of, but, like, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like the community of Baltimore Club producers is a very tight-knit community. There's, like, different pockets of guys mm-hmm. that sort of all work together and just all sort of, like, this disjointed this disjointed group of of people well how does it work like say now 
if you do a club set when you're playing like other breaks and so like when when you're not playing like your own stuff like where are you like getting the music that you play um guess from other people that send it to me or just whatever i find on soundcloud or wherever i can find it um there's a certain level of you know a few people like we we will swap tunes every now and then like just sort of swap folders or whatever we've gotten and there's still a lot of like really classic club records that still are just as relevant today as what they were back then yeah totally and so i've always sort of just had like I've always just sort of had a set where it's like these certain old records that I know will always work and they're not going to go anywhere. Right. And there's space for new stuff. And then like a lot of times I'm just making something to sort of like fill in the gap. Like without, without giving away too much of my secrets, like I have sort of like a formula where it's like you go, it's sort of like I go here, then here, then here, then here and repeat. Okay, yeah. I sort yeah. of look at de- I sort of look at DJing like being a fisherman. Where like you've got these people that are here that want to get drunk and dance. And as a DJ, you don't want to just play like lowest common denominator. Everyone knows this song. Of course, everyone's going to dance this. It's Fetty Wap. Right, right. You don't right. want to just have to run through that for a whole night. So you literally just sort of like bait people in with something they know and you reel them in. Yeah. And then once you reel them in, you know, you have some time to sort of like take them somewhere else with something they might not know or be familiar with. Right, 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 right. And you try to ride that wave until you start seeing that you're losing them a little bit. You toss the bait back out there again and you reel them back in. Yeah. And you can just do that with people for hours at a time. Yeah. And at the end of the night, all their clothes are all sweaty and they're like, I don't know what the fuck just happened to me. (laughs) Right, right. I I mean, I read something you said, I think in like a city paper article, you were saying like, you you feel like you have some stuff that would not even be considered club by the older heads. Yeah. What kind of directions have you been going in that's that's different? I guess since, like, I got my start sort of playing with, like, Steve's promo and stuff, like, I've always sort of been... I've always been, like, one of the, like, accessible go-to DJs for, like, the rave community that, like, oh, we want somebody to play Baltimore Club. Like, yeah. The biggest name they would reach for is Scotty B. Except for Scotty B, like, I'm probably the next person on their list. Sure, yeah. And so being at events like that and just, like, seeing the way that whole scene works and being exposed to, like, this, like, the festival culture where it's, like, a thousand people plus in a field, just, like, you start to see how those kind of crowds react to, like, a different style of music. Yeah. And it's just sort of, like, a matter of taking sounds and samples and like vibes that would fit that fit that scene more but still adding like the traditional Baltimore club formula to it right 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 okay so it's been I've been working on a lot of records like that just to like I don't know it just seems like that seems just such a fun and embracing culture to play in just like I don't know if you're familiar with powwow it used to be that event they had behind Walmart in Port Covington every May. So I'd played that for like three years in a row, and that was like, those are still probably some of like the most fun gigs I've ever had. Just there's yeah. something, there's something so much better about like playing music to a field full of kids in the middle of the daytime than just like to like the norm, which is just like, all right, here I am in a nightclub. 300 people like that that's not i guess you just like you just want diversity from what you're doing like yeah that's something shiny and new that's been appealing like i want to go do that again right right i want to go do that again like i've been djing at the auto bar almost every week for the last five years of my life like pretty much show me anything that's not that i'm like oh my god what is this i want to do this all the time now right 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 yeah, like I, I think I just work to maintain a balance of like what everyone knows and expects from a Baltimore club record, but also yeah. like these are my influences. Yeah, this is how I would like to see the music evolve. Right, it's like right, yeah, right. Baltimore club has evolved so much, and like without K Swift anymore to be sort of like the top of the pyramid, like the ultimate taste maker in Baltimore club, like. 
there's just been this like huge just like people just sort of spread out all over the place and you've got like the like the scene with the dancers like the music there is much faster and it's completely different and it's not something i can go play at a party Mm. but like for competitive dancing this is exactly what works for these kids right 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 and then aside from that everyone else has just been sort of on their own to like make your own sound you have the formula do what you want with it yeah you know some people have maybe gone too far off and veered too far away from the formula. Some haven't. Right, right. I didn't even know till I watched that little documentary that there's this whole like that whole like crazy like dance element. What's up with that? Would you be interacting with these young kids dancing crazy like that? Um I mean there have been times where they've showed up to parties I was playing and I'm yeah. able to like mix in records to accommodate them because, like, you know, no matter who it is, sometimes you have someone dancing, like, you sort of want to cater to the people that are already dancing or you know they're right. going to dance because everyone else is just going to sort of get drunker and more and more comfortable and just sort of fill in the spaces around them. Totally. Um, I've helped. I've helped them find... I helped find a venue one time for them to keep doing the, like, the dance battle, like, Battlegrounds or whatever it's called. And uh, I think it's more I, I've I've interacted more with the producers that are like over there that are like the producers that everyone goes to over there and they're just sort of like sort of lost and like this is what I do I'm good like how do I make more of a career out of this right right just try to like pull a few guys aside and like don't stop doing what you're doing for them but just recognize that. There's another world over here where people still want to hear Baltimore Club, but it's got to be something that's more along the lines of just party records. Just like make something just like, are you play this and girls are going to get on stage and shake their ass. Right, right, Instead right. of like making all these records for all your friends to like crazy legs too. And so like some of these guys have like, they like heard me out and they're like, okay. And they've sort of like, been able to to do both, and some guys just sort of are just sort of stuck in what they want to do. But still, that's cool. That's cool that they yeah. do that. You know, I didn't realize it was like battle based either. Yeah, you know, that's cool. Oh, it's that's pretty official. It's pretty well organized. You can like challenge someone to a battle. They have like championship belts and everything. It's that's fucking crazy. insane. Where do they do it? Uh, I don't know where they're at right now. But, like, when you were saying you helped them get a... Oh, do you remember the Broom Factory? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back when that was still a thing, they were doing the Broom Factory. I think it was, like, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. That's awesome. Yeah. What are you working on now, music-wise? I don't know. Just whenever I have... Whenever an idea comes up, I just sort of grab my laptop and just put some ideas down. Like, I've never been the person that, like, sits down and, like, does a track start to finish? Like some guys, like oh yeah, I made this whole track in an hour. Like for the most part, like unless I'm working with someone else and like writing a track for them and they're there with me, like I'll start something and it may take me two or three years of just slowly picking at picking at it before I'm like, all right, this is done. Yeah. And there's things that I have that if I played it for someone else, like oh this is done, this is great. I'm like, it's not there yet. Mm. You know. You know. And, like, I listen to most of the stuff I've put out. I'm like, I could have done this better. I could have done that different. I could have done that different. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot of artists have that problem, maybe. Just, like, you're sort of, like, a perfectionist. And, like, unless you really have someone else to tell you, like, hey, stop. It's good. Keep it simple. Just stop and put it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always had a huge collection of records that are just like that, that's sort of, like, have evolved over time like the Calvert Street EP like some of those were like stuff I had previously released but just not really that that much and like weren't available for download but like the first record with Pork Chop on it like there's maybe like 50 different versions of that (laughs) at least you know that record was just like it was just constantly evolving and then like it was like two different. It was like two different records. They sort of got merged together at one point, and still continued to evolve. And like, that's just sort of how the process has been for me for so long. Mm. 
and like every now and then I have to like sort of stop and take like a few, bounce them down, put like a playlist together and send them out to a few labels like, hey, here's some demos. Mm. If I don't stop myself and do that, like I just end up with this huge catalog of music that I'm like, unless I die soon, like no one's ever going to get to hear this. Right, right, you know, right. It's like right. maybe if I were to die in the next year or so, someone be like, "Shit, we gotta break into James's computer and get all this fucking." Music. <laughs> right, right. You know, I actually have friends that I've told like, "Yo, for some reason, for some reason, I don't make it to like thirty-five or forty or something. Like, you're in charge of making sure all this shit gets somewhere. I don't mm. You just give it away for free or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because it kind of sucks to feel like you've put all this work in in your lifetime and like just gonna like not ever be heard." Right, right. I was at the uh, the Walters last night. And I was just looking at some of these like huge art pieces. I'm like, you know what? This might have been like somebody's entire life might have went into making this like sculpture or this like huge like display. Yeah, totally. But uh, I wanted to put out an album. But I need, like, a manager or someone else that's not me to sort of, like, here's your deadline. You need to have this much done by this date. Someone else needs to, like, literally, like, wrangle me in and, like, put some sort of process to it so I'm not just, like, constantly. Because I'd be like, all right, well, cool, my album's done. Here's 13 tracks. And they're like, uh, I don't think I like these three. Let me go make three more and then make three more and then... Right, it'll just be a constantly evolving process without like a label or a manager or someone else to sort of be like, fucking stop it. Mm. You know, has have other labels you've worked with been that person for you in in the past or not really? Um, No, Mm. no. I have a few friends that have been sort of like, not officially managers, but just someone, like, an outside voice that I can send stuff to. Yeah. And they can give me advice. Sort of like a consultant, just like, yeah, these are good. Just stop. Just stop. Don't. Just stop right there. Yeah. You know, because it's hard being... Because most of us, like, we're artists first that are learning and growing into better businessmen. Right. And it's tough to, like, just keep that balance sometimes because you like... Oh, yeah. I've got a song and I wanted to do this. I wanted to have this sort of impact on people. And you got to stop yourself and be like, wait, but as a businessman, this is a product and you need to just maybe just hurry up and get this product together and get it to market. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think we're all expected to be both and mm-hmm. we're all trying to be both, but like, I feel like almost no one is actually both yeah. <laughs> like at, at heart mm-hmm. or something. Oh yeah. Well, cool, man. Anything else you want to mention? Um, I don't think so. Cool. That was, pretty, cool. That was a pretty good chat. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, dude. Right. That was awesome. <laughs> That's it. We'll see you next week.